Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Week 16 NFL Review Show presented by No House Advantage. I'm Eric Lindquist, excited to be talking some NFL recap of a slate that just kicked my ass. Very much looking forward to it here. But, you know, it's just me being able to talk you through a little bit of the ins and outs because I got somebody who's going to analyze all of it. Somebody who, you know, maxed out the melee, did all of the normal things that he does, uh, except for maybe get his early slate lineups in. That's probably why he didn't win 100K yesterday. Adam Share at ShipMyMoneyDFS on Twitter. How you doing, my guy? Doing pretty well. Uh, yesterday's slate sucked, but nice to nice to talk about it and go through, you know, what went right, what went wrong. Yeah, I always find this to be, and again, this is just something that I know um, talking with other guys here. Matt Kajewski, I know, says that this is the show that he looks forward to watching the most here at Osmo, which is a nice thing to hear from your colleagues and such. But it's true. If you guys want to figure out ways to get better, I mean, I'm looking to get better after yesterday, that's for sure. We only have two more regular season weeks. We'll have an entire playoff slate looking uh, forward and we'll have more games than normal because of the extra team added to the playoffs. But uh, it's still just two more regular season weeks left and we want to be in fine form here heading into week 18 with COVID, with everything else happening in the world. You know, we've had some practice with some of these shorthanded like uh, stars and scrub slates, if you will. But the big problem here is that you had two st- uh, two studs to be paying up for and neither really got there for you. Uh, just kind of like uh, segueing right into the, the overall arching theme of yesterday. Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup. I mean, Cooper Cup ended up in a lot of winning lineups because it's Cooper Cup and it's not like 16 raw points killed you or whatever it was on, on FanDuel. I know specifically in that $250, but what do you think about those two wide receivers that uh, right from the get-go as we get into this, I, I felt like were pivotal decision points on the slate. Yeah. I mean, they obviously both looked really good. It just was a matter of, can you build lineups where you are getting relatively low on players elsewhere? Because there were a lot of just really, I think good, but, but, chalky plays on this slate so it made it tough to say you know i'm gonna take a 52 percent on cooper cup and a 52 percent on antonio brown and then you know you're still trying to figure out how to be contrarian within those lineups but i think that you know one of the things that separates like winning players from not as good players is being able to kind of determine which of the popular pieces you want to get to which ones you don't um i thought that both cup and brown just you know were guys that i was prioritizing regardless Yep, I think that you kind of had to. I mean, I was a little bit lower on Brown. Looks like you were as well, which is kind of nice to see. It looks like huh, Rinpag was way underneath on, on that. Excited to talk his lineups because I think out of everybody here in the Millie, which is what we're going to cover here today, again, million dollars to first. These are the kind of the massive ones here at the moment. Uh, 15K for the slant most of the time here. Uh, we're kind of shifting our focus here towards the Millie maker. I think it's going to be more beneficial for you guys as well. A lot of you are playing large field tournaments and, you know, even the the slant, even though it's the sharpest field and, you know, it's a little bit more condensed than some of these large field uh, that most people are playing here on NFL Sundays. But yeah, Cup, Brown, and obviously Tyreek Hill being another piece uh, absent, uh, Travis Kelsey. I think they were all massive decision points for this slate and, you know, the wide receiver position, just because you had spend ups and you had certain spots to be going to, there were just so many pieces of value and holy crap. Justin Jackson, I mean, in a in a negative game script against Houston, just absolutely destroys this slate. Yeah, and that's another one where he was obviously very, very good chalk. Like, he was really cheap. He's on a Chargers team that's good. He's in a good matchup against Houston. This is one where, like, I still played a lot of him, but I didn't quite get to the field. And I think the reason was just that there were some very, very low-owned um, pivots around him that you could get to that didn't look nearly as good, but that were still – 
uh, decent options. Like I know looking at some of my other exposures, I had a lot of Burkhead. I had a lot of uh, Michael Carter, like other, you know, cheap guys that could get to, but also not even if you get out of that price range, there were a lot of running backs that looked really good. Whether you're talking about other popular guys like Ronald Jones, uh, whether you're talking about, you know, David Montgomery, uh, Alexander Madison, there were just a lot of good running back plays. And so I thought that that was one reason I think why I ended up a little bit closer to the field on guys like Cup and Brown than I did on Jackson. It's just that there weren't quite as many receivers that I liked compared to running backs. Agreed. And one of those running backs, and I'm excited to get your take on this because, you know, I like to talk late swap. I think it's still one of the things that, you know, is underutilized in every single sport in DFS, still an edge that exists there. And, you know, I think today's NBA slate is a great example where you have half an hour staggered start between every single game. And you can adjust to how your lineups are doing, how your players are doing, what news breaks throughout the day. So many portions, that, uh, so many different edges that can be had through it. Well, you had 54%, unfortunately, of James Robinson, who was a fantastic play against the Jets. You know, he was at an elevated, well, kind of an elevated price point at other sites, but he was still relatively cheap over on DraftKings. And 37.7% in the milli, you were at 54% of him. What did you do? for those afternoon games to account for lineups that had James Robinson in them. Absolutely nothing. You did absolutely nothing. Yeah. Didn't care. Assumed figured they were going to lose. Didn't care. It wasn't worth my time. It's not what I was hoping for. <laughs> Seriously. You just, just you get, you gave up. Didn't care. Made afternoon lineups. Very disappointed. There's nowhere to go with this. <laughs> I thought we were in a nice flow. I was kind of going bit by bit. I had the things written out where it's like, ask Adam about late swap. So no, I don't usually do in, in large field tournaments. I don't usually late swap for bad lineups. Like I'll, if I, if I notice I have really good lineups or like I have, if like I was high on a low owned player that is like smashing and chalk is failing, I'll just like optimize a lot of my stuff to try and make sure that I don't have like random shitty plays in my best lineups. Um, but in the case of like somebody like Robinson getting hurt in large field tournaments, I don't really care. Cause like maybe I'll get, you know, I'll, I'll get lucky and min cash, but like I can still min cash with Robinson too. Um, in cash games. Absolutely. I'd be late swapping and doing everything I can to, you know, get away from Robinson, but in tournaments, um, I just don't really care. Oh, there we go. Well, there you go. I, I generally care a lot where it's like I'll get off of super chalk to try to salvage in the event that they end up being completely bust. I'll take a portfolio. You can kind of group by the player, figure out ways to kind of swap around. But, you know, if you just want to focus on other things, I guess the ROI of your time to focus on the afternoon slate is probably more important than the ROI of focusing on James Robinson lineups that can't win. Right. Yeah. Like, turn it's kind of just opposite approach. Like in cash, I'm looking to swap if I have a bunch of shit going wrong. In tournaments, I spend a lot more time swapping when I have stuff going right. Okay, that's fair. I, I think that that's fair. I mean, for me, it's more of just like an inherent part of process where I'll fire it in because like yesterday, I didn't have Joe Burrow. And so obviously quarterback, you're basically saying, I'm there's like a 0% chance I'm going to find anything close to it, but I tried to get onto more Mahomes and Hill as a result. <laughs> that was fun. That went well. Um, yeah, it was just an absolute disaster, you know, cause I had to try to find a comparable ceiling and I thought he was pretty much the only guy in the afternoon window that had a shot either that, or you just punt to the bottom and hope to win at other positions. But guys, as you're all getting in here as well, uh, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell. But specifically, if you like Adam and I going through these lineups here, uh, covering everything that you guys uh, that went right, went wrong here for people on week 16. 
definitely smash that like button goes a long way for us. All right. So Ronald Jones, uh, you know, coming off of Justin Jackson, Ronald Jones, he didn't kill anybody. 16.1. He got that touchdown a little bit later. Uh, so he definitely salvaged a lot of lineups there. When you have such condensed chalk on the bottom end of here of, of running back, I mean, I'm just kind of grouping by your exposures here from the get-go. And it seemed like, oh man, Alexander Madison too. I mean, all of these guys were just absolute smashes. I, I was way over on Madison as well, uh, bad times. But uh, was there any kind of a, a conscious decision you made to avoid maybe one or two of these major running backs? Because it seemed like everybody was in a fantastic spot. Everybody wanted to get up to cup and everybody needed to find ways to get different elsewhere, uh, which I think you did with Braxton Berrios, and we'll get to that here. But uh, what are you doing uh, as far as looking at a, a very condensed, very strong, cheap running back pool? Uh, Madison was my pretty clear stand. Like I thought it, it was difficult because like I wasn't, I didn't think any of these guys were bad chalk at all. Like I certainly didn't want to just say like, oh, I'm fading Justin Jackson or I'm not playing Ronald Jones today or, or any of that. Um, Cordero Patterson was a spot where I was very under the field and it seems like most at least most of the good players I'm looking at were. Um, I was really surprised when I saw how popular he was. Like, I get that it was Me a too. good spot. I played a, I played a lot of the Atlanta passing game. I just didn't play Patterson. So that's one chalkier running back I didn't get to, but like I got to a lot of Montgomery. But Madison was one that really graded out to me as just going on their own because – he wasn't quite as good a value as guys like Ronald Jones and Justin Jackson, just because they were so much cheaper, but you still had just slate winning upside from Alexander Madison. Like there, he, in his range of outcomes, you still just have, you know, two touchdowns and a hundred plus yards and just, you know, a fantastic game. And he was only, uh, he only got 16% ownership. He was only projected for 21%. And it, it was a spot where I thought that I could find value elsewhere. That's probably one reason why I had so much Braxton Berrios. Um, but you know, I thought you could kind of found, find value elsewhere. And even though he wasn't like, he wasn't a, he wasn't expensive relative to the slate. He kind of was a payoff option at running back. So it was a spot where I thought that I could still get a really high ceiling and put myself in a position where if Madison has that big game and then Justin Jackson has like a good, or Ronald Jones has like a good point per dollar game, but one where they get like 14 points, um, you know, maybe I can really pick up on the field that way by say, you know, having twice as many raw points from Alexander Madison. Didn't work out, but. Well, we've also seen him take on 75% plus of the snaps pretty much every single time he's gotten relief duty, or at least 26 and 25 carries when he got 66 and 68% of the snaps there in relief of Dalvin Cook. Once again, in relief of Dalvin Cook here, I thought he made a lot of sense. And he also positively know, correlated with the Rams, which was nice. correct. Correct. And, and also, I mean, I'm just surprised he wasn't on the field 75% of the time, but like only 13 rushing attempts. I know that they were down two scores there late in the game, but. You know, he's also been getting more volume than four targets here in some of these spots. I mean, seven, eight targets in wins in, in positive game scripts there. Just weird that he didn't get a little bit more work here in this spot, especially when Thielen went out in the second half. Not that I'm bitter or anything, not that I'm upset or anything, maybe a little bit, but like legitimately, I, I am very surprised because it seems like every single time Madison or relief duty is like an automatic, you know, five, six targets at least. Um, seeing kind of the floor for that in four, three catches for 28 is not very enjoyable. Thanks, Zimmer. Goodbye. Um, rest of the pool, David Montgomery. That was probably the one guy that I just never was going to get to. Uh, you really got to, uh, yeah, 34%. So I'm going to say, David Montgomery, what was your thinking point uh, for him in a 17 total? But he's definitely been seeing more receiving volume of late. So I'll give him that. Yeah, and he was just pretty cheap. Um, he was projected for a little bit less ownership than Ronald Jones which was nice. You know, it wasn't like a glaring amount, but uh, getting to more Montgomery, getting to more Robinson, 
and kind of getting around the field on Jones, which is sort of where I ended up. Um, I, I expect there to be a sizable workload for him. Uh, he's not on a particularly good offense, but he also wasn't very expensive. So uh, just I, I think it's a situation where even though the ownership um, differences weren't that great, I think if you just, you know, if we had projected Montgomery where we projected Jones, and if we projected Jones where we projected Montgomery, I'd probably just get more Jones and less Montgomery. But uh, as it worked out, I thought that, you know, Jones, Montgomery, uh, um, Robinson were very, very similar plays, and Robinson and Montgomery are just a little bit lower on. Anything else you want to discuss with running backs, considering, I mean, it, it seems as though the chalk came to fruition uh, with Justin Jackson. Ronald Jones didn't kill you. James Robinson certainly did from injury. Um, is there anything else that really kind of sticks out to you? Cause like for me, it ended up pretty flat elsewhere other than Rex Burkhead, which we can talk about from a value perspective. We can talk about, um, Joe Mixon being underowned or things of that nature, but anything else from these chalky running backs? Um, not from the chalky ones. I think that again, like Patterson was the one that really surprised me. And again, I, I understand there was a good spot and all of that, but I just didn't expect him to be that popular, but, uh, Jackson Robinson, Jones, Montgomery, you know, Madison, I thought all were pretty clearly the top place yeah 20 percent for patterson is just bonkers like i know it's detroit i know and it's a 24 plus total i mean that should really just kind of tell you that that's what people are doing in some of these higher total spots or implied team total spots Corderell patterson um again i just haven't really enjoyed seeing the workload of late it seems like it's been on the decline and seeing 11 carries against san francisco and um, mike davis starting to get rotated in a little bit more it's not it's not the best situation to be walking into for sure um you know seven carries yesterday he got that touchdown which salvaged his day but uh, not what you're looking for from patterson you want to get some receiving volume in there all right let's go to uh tight ends because i think that i was i was very happy going through your lineups this morning seeing what you did with gronk specifically um we i, I kind of knew you're going to do it before you did it which is kind of a fun part of doing these shows is knowing that when somebody's going to be very, very chalky and it's kind of a, a spot where everybody else is expecting massive volume in the absence of other people, that you find ways to pivot. And I think you did a great job with that at the tight end spot, 16.7% Gronk. I mean, you were just a tiny, sorry, 15.3 for you. It was rent back there before, but uh, Gronk at 16% for you, 17.5% here for the field. Um, being a tiny bit under there, giving yourself more outs rather than being massively overweight to the position. Uh, what was your thinking there with Gronk? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a really good spot, but I also didn't happen to get to a lot of Tom Brady, so that kind of hurt. I was playing a lot of Antonio Brown. I thought that there were – I didn't think that the pivots at wide receiver around Antonio Brown were nearly as good as the pivots I could make at tight end. And you got Kyle Pitts at 7% ownership, um, a few hundred dollars cheaper than Gronk. That was a game that – you know, I did want – Atlanta I went to the passing game instead of Patterson so it just I thought made a lot of sense where Pitts is still going to get plenty of opportunities um Gronk looked good and you know I still played around the field there but I thought getting to a lower owned and slightly cheaper Pitts was a really good strategy and then I really liked getting a lot of Jared Coke as a value option I went to a lot of uh Herbert I went to a lot of Matt Ryan so they correlated there as well all right makes sense and once more like tight end you have some opportunities to get more to the field again that's that's basically one fifth of the field that was dead on arrival there with Gronk 3.3 out of him did I expect that little no but you know even a 12 spot 15 spot from Gronk wasn't necessarily guaranteed to get it done here on this slate so I felt like chalk to get away from for sure um oh here we go and then huh, Ryan 
<laughs> Ryan's DMing me. Hi, Rinpack. What's going on, buddy? Um, he wanted to explain himself about AB before we get to Antonio Brown. We covered Antonio Brown, but I can revisit it here for Rinpack. He said that uh, the reason that he was under on Antonio Brown, and we have, we'll get to his individual lineups, was because of some coach speak about 60% or under. And I'm pretty sure on the Live Before Lock show, I said, I just think coaches are damn dirty liars and we should never listen to them ever about how much, like, especially Bruce Arians about Antonio Brown, who has to be the wide receiver one. Yeah, I just, I mean, sometimes I get burned by it. I don't listen to anything, uh, basketball and <laughs> NFL, like, uh, most of the time, if like a coach says something, unless it's something where like, like I a minute's I, limit, right? Yeah. Unless it's something where like, I'm actually looking for the information. Um, but like normally it's YouTube chat. That's like telling me, like I'll be doing a show and I'm like, Oh, and this coach's presser, he said, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Like he's it, it's, I, I think I've made the comparison before. I think it's like BVP in, in baseball. Mm-hmm. Like, does it exist? Yes. Do I know when it's going to predict what's going to happen and what is when it's not? No. Like, are some coaches telling the truth sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. They're not lying every single time. But um, yeah. I, I think I'm better off just it, – it's kind of my – I mean, my general approach to DFS in general, you know, is kind of just trying to take a step back and not dig in quite that much to, like, micro stuff. And mm-hmm. that's kind of just where it falls for me. Like, I'd rather just – assume that coaches not even saying they don't even necessarily have to be lying they could think that that's what they're gonna do you see it all the time in the nba uh we're gonna play this guy 26 minutes oh shit it's a close game let's go ahead and play him 35 yep oh no so so last year uh, one of my buddies my favorite tweet of all time is my buddy who uh so tom thibodeau had julius randall coming back from something or maybe it was alec burks is one of the two but he was on a an unspoken minutes limit and my buddy just put 48 minutes at the top (laughs) i was like yes that is the greatest tweet of all time um, but yeah, that's, that's what it is. Like I, I can't, and I know Ryan, uh, for a long time and he's always been somebody that is so sharp when it comes to tracking news, when it comes to being on Twitter and seeing what's floating around and being able to make some really informed decisions. But there's spots like this where it's just like logic tells you if Antonio Brown, you know, he faked a vax card. He didn't, he wasn't like. <laughs> Like that's, that's what happened. He came back. He was ready to rock. And then to be fair here, like, I don't, I'm not saying that my way is correct or anything. Like, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that there's other people that approach it, you know, differently, clearly. And one thing, like one reason that I, I think probably the strongest reason in favor of like the way Ryan does it is when you look at the exposures of a lot of people on Antonio, I mean, he was 52% on mm-hmm. like the field was very much doing the same thing in this case, doing the same thing I did, where it was just like, yeah, whatever, screw that. Like Antonio Brown's going to play a lot. So there is a potential edge to just saying, uh, what if he doesn't and he's not lying? Like I'm in a great spot. So, um, I do think that is also one thing where if you are someone that pays more attention to stuff like that, pay attention to what the field is doing, because if you get like if you get a coach saying, oh, well, we're going to limit this guy, blah, 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 but it kind of sounds like bullshit. But the whole field is just like, you know, every projection site in the industry is saying, oh, Antonio Brown's going to play half the snaps. There's an edge to saying, yeah, okay, what if he doesn't? Like, and I get $4,900 Antonio Brown playing 80% of the snaps. But, it, you know, yesterday, the entire field was just saying, like, okay, this is going to be Antonio Brown wide receiver one. So there is the potential edge just saying, yeah, okay, what if, what if he's not? Yeah, and I was a little bit lower, but I mean, I still thought that he was a phenomenal play. It was more of just like, Give me the entire range to try to beat him and you're going to get them at reduced ownership. So, you know, I I thought it made sense. I mean, you were slightly under Ryan was way, way under compared to, you know, Osmo, Neil. Uh, Again, great to have Neil Orfield uh, kind of stepping in to to be able to review some of his lineups. New guy here. You can check him out. 
Monday nights, uh, he's going to be covering one. Well, I think Thursdays I do it with him as well. We cover showdown. We do the live before lock for NFL. So check that out tonight. Uh, looking forward to it. Um, all right. Anything else for you for, for like some of the chalkier plays here, Josh Palmer, obviously <laughs> we were talking about before the show uh, was the wide receiver that got you there in the garbage time, last touchdown to cash your string of early line lineups or, you know, a number of your spots to kind of salvage it. I thought he was a nice source of savings, uh, maybe a little bit popular for tournaments. Uh, Ryan making a stand, my friend, we shall get to those lineups for sure. But uh, Josh Palmer in the absence of Mike Williams, in the absence of Guyton uh, made a lot of sense on this slate, right? Yeah, I thought so. Uh, really cheap. No, like you said, no Williams, no Guyton, good matchup, good offense. You know, that's one thing that uh, was nice. I think it, and I ended up playing a ton of Barrios for whatever reason, but uh, someone on the strategy show yesterday, I think it asked Palmer or Guyton or I mean, Palmer or uh, Barrios. And it was just like, if you're picking one, you know, excluding other variables, I think it's just Palmer because he's actually on a good offense. He's not like the, one thing that you see all the time in, in NFL DFS is some cheap receiver on a shitty offense steps up and everyone's like, Oh, this is the guy that's going to be the best value play. And it's like, yeah, cool. His team's going to score eight points and uh, <laughs> he's going to, he's going to get like six fantasy points. Congrats. But like Palmer is on a team that can actually move the ball. He has a really good quarterback. So uh, just look great. And then also like for me personally, I was playing a lot of that game. I had a lot of Justin Herbert. So it just makes it even easier for me to, you know, get to somebody like that. I love hearing everything you just said. And then knowing that when we were going to review your lineups, we're going to review 46% Braxton Barrios. So I, like, I'm still not entirely sure how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying you're just talking. Oh yeah. Zach Wilson, the absolute nuts. My God. Um, <laughs> you're the best ship. You're the best. Um, let's rest to the tight end position. At least. I mean, this came down. Let's, Let's actually do a read here quick. Let's do that. Awesome plus tools and content. $29.95 here for the weekly pass right now. But NFL strategy show, all caps, one word, 25% off your first week of Awesome plus platinum. As simple as that. You're just going to go to the bottom of the coupon in the description of this video below. You're going to put an NFL strategy show, all caps, one word, and you're going to get that 25% off for NFL. But that's also for NBA, but that's also for NHL and also for MMA and every sport that we have here at Osmo. $29.95 is the going rate. Get those savings for Osmo Plus Platinum. See what we have behind the paywall. I promise you won't be disappointed. The projections, the boom bust tool, everything you could be asking for for NFL Sundays, as well as Mondays and Thursdays and now Saturdays, you can get here with this package. So stop guessing, start winning and join us here at Osmo today. Um, I, I think that kind of does it for some of the most chalky plays. You talked about some cheapers. Uh, we'll get to some defense talk and such, but I want to group by fantasy points because there are two guys at the top of fantasy points, T Higgins and Joe Burrow. And we had under pressure productions there in the chat. He said, I'm a Ravens fan. And I will just say, I'm sorry for letting the Bengals break the slate. I don't care. I hate you. Like we're, we're fighting right now because Holy mother of God, I do not accept your apology, apology for football. They are egregious. And not only that, but Mark Andrews with a run back has been like the nuts three weeks in a row or something. And I really don't know what to say. Like legitimately Baltimore's defense is in shambles. T Higgins and Joe Burrow, 46.4 and 41.1. I'm heartbroken because I generally am way over the field on T Higgins. I feel like Boyd was somebody else that I wanted to get to a little bit on this slate as well as Jamar Chase. And so instead of just playing my guy, I, Spread it thin at receiver. Oh, and I had zero Joe Burrow. So talk to me about them. Yeah, I uh, wish I had more, obviously. Um, I typically get there too. Kind of was surprised I didn't get any. I think I had 
yeah, I had zero Burrow. I had 3% Higgins. I wasn't too mad about it once I saw the actual ownership numbers, but like we had Burrow projected at 7%. Um, you know, going with that information, I kind of think I probably should have gotten a little bit more. I wish I had. Um, once I saw that he was, you know, 12% and basically similarly owned the guys like Justin Herbert, I was perfectly fine that I had just played a bunch of Herbert instead. But uh, yeah, I mean, obviously a high upside play. The Bengals are a team that kind of like, regardless of matchup every week, it's just like, yeah, they're not going to be that popular. And the ceiling's massive because you have fantastic receivers. You have a quarterback that's going to be allowed to throw the ball. So uh, the ceiling's always there and clearly came through in a big way yesterday. It was absurd. Like, I, I really don't even know what to say at this point. Like you either had them or you didn't. And those are, those are the kind of slates too, because I mean, there was no QB that was remotely close to Joe Burrow and for him to be what the second most popular here in the Millie. Um, that is a tough, that's a tough uphill sledding that you have ahead of you. If you don't have them like yeah, end exactly. of story, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was just a weird slate where it was like everybody, every, every like good play sucks, except for Joe Burrow is like doubling his projection. Oh, NFL DFS. I love it so much, but I mean, that's just kind of frustrating. Again, it, I landed on a lot of the other spots, Matt Stafford. I landed on a lot of, um, you know, a number of quarterbacks up and down the spectrum here, but, you know, coming off of, I mean, Josh Johnson was actually comparable or was actually competent too um, in this spot. And of course the Bengals defense, super popular, didn't end up getting there. Want to cover some defense too, because everybody loves defense takes, but uh, just looking at the top of the fantasy point board, seeing Higgins, seeing Burrow, absolutely needed them. Justin Jackson, we covered Josh Allen, you know, he had a great game and was still almost 10 points behind Joe Burrow. Isaiah McKenzie. Now the boss man kind of like brought him up on the show and was just like, Oh, I think he's a good replacement wide receiver. Did you hear that at all? No. Did you see that? No, it, it no. was, it was a pretty next level take. I'm not going to lie. Um, I did, let me see. I, I actually just lost the page where I have them all grouped. Uh, how much did Osmo get to of Isaiah McKenzie? I'm just curious. He had 2%. Okay. So he had said that he thought he was a decent replacement level player. Must not have gotten to a ton of him after the fact, but that was definitely a quote. So, you know, another reason to be checking out the deeper dive because it's never too bad to hear the number one player in the world go on about uh, some of the players that he finds to be intriguing on any given slate. You know, sometimes you won't end up landing there even as a result, but I uh, thought that that was pretty fascinating seeing him and Josh Allen. Seems like whoever isn't Stefan Diggs is going off uh, any given week here for Buffalo, but Rex Burkhead, this is kind of the conversation. Sub 3% for Rex Burkhead here. We got news that David Johnson was out. This was eerily similar. And I would say with Ramondre Stevens, uh, we'll talk Damian Harris as well, who's, you know, 4%. I think it was a huge mistake by the field, at least not to be on Damian Harris. Maybe you could say with Houston being 13-point dogs, Rex Burkhead, not a very likely spot for him here. But, you know, obviously there were a number of lineups. Like he was kind of a, a must-have piece especially over on FanDuel where touchdowns matter. And he had two rushing touchdowns and added a little bit more to the mix over there. But did you consider Rex Burke had quite a bit on this slate? Yeah, I had 13%. That's um, why. It, yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't really anything that I, I was confident in, but he was really cheap. You had David Johnson out. You had a capable pass catcher out of the backfield uh you know some rushing touchdown equity as well and he also positively correlated with a team that i was really heavy on you know i had a lot of a lot of herbert um just a lot of charger stacks uh charges exposure in general so having burkhead as a run back made 
a lot of sense and he was getting no ownership. So, um, you know, it, it created a situation too, where even though I played a lot of Justin Jackson and thought he was a really good play in some lineups where maybe I have, you know, Cooper cup and Antonio Brown, and I don't really want to take on the massive ownership going to Justin Jackson as well. I can still get a similar, you know, high upside build with a cheap running back by using Burkett at basically no ownership. Okay. And I, I just, you know, wish I had reacted more to that. And obviously I got to Damian Harris because I thought that, you know, that was maybe a spot where he would see a, a ton of workload. We've seen Buffalo get ran over by just about everybody. Um, I wasn't super high. I love Josh Allen, but um, I wasn't as high. He played fantastic in that game, but I uh, just wasn't going to get there at any point in time. But Mark Andrews, yeah, I don't really even know what to say. Not a single person rostered him in a single lineup out of us here at Osmo for this tournament. 8.7% ownership. He had gone off the last two weeks and we can't just look at the box score and say, you know, Oh, well, that was a mistake or something, but I just want you to talk through the process of analyzing Mark Andrews on this slate. Yeah. I mean, he had just gotten expensive. Uh, he had Josh Johnson playing quarterback. So probably and even, or you would assume a downgrade even from, from Huntley. Uh, and, you know, it's not like he was popular, but he wasn't getting no ownership. He was projected for eight and a half percent. He came in at eight and a half percent. Uh, and it was just a spot where I wasn't really looking to just pay up there for no real reason. I mean, you had Gronk, who was cheaper and who looked really good. You had Pitts, who clearly I liked a lot. You had Jared Cook, who was really cheap and you know opened up some other stuff at other positions. Uh, it, I didn't play a lot of him, but you also had Goddard, who was like $1,900 less expensive. There were just a lot of I, – I typically don't pay up at tight end unless it's a spot where I can get like a low-owned Waller, Kelsey, Kittle type guy. Um, and – you know, I thought that there were plenty, there was plenty of upside in those mid-range guys. If Mark Andrews absolutely breaks the slate, then so be it. And, and I also would have had more if I had been on Cincinnati, but I wasn't on Cincinnati. I, yeah, it's actually possible. Thinking back, I wonder, I'm wondering if part of the reason I wasn't on Cincinnati was not really wanting anything from Baltimore. Not 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 that I force run backs. Like I, I don't force run backs in all my lineups, but um certainly you know helps. And I, I do build a lot of lineups that, that have them. So I'm kind of wondering. Do, too, do you do boosts to the key groups? Do you do like uh, no, boost? I just run different different stacking rules and then combine them all together. Okay, I like that too. Again, for me, I, I I like the key group. Just you know, makes it a little bit quicker for me. But it's always hard to know. Well, if you boost it ten percent as opposed to twenty percent, what's right. that going to look like? How's that going to factor in? And you know, if you build it with just give me fifty lineups with the run back and give me zero lineups with the run back here in this one. You know, you might get the interesting portfolio or a more concrete portfolio, should I say? Yeah, that's yeah. Typ- typically, I'll build lineups where like, you know, I have a two man stack with a run back and then I'll build them with a two man or like two pass catchers and no run back. And then I'll do like one pass catcher, a run back, and then a secondary stack like in the lineup um, and then kind of put them all together and see what looks the best. Yeah. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, go to the learn tab at awesome.com. This is, you know, way before I was ended up working here. Um, I just been to the, like the NFL DFS strategy and I went to fantasy cruncher MLB guide and I went to all these different tabs that existed on the learn portion of the Osmo page. And I just watched Alex, uh, build lineups. I just watched him build lineups over and over and it gives you a great opportunity to figure out a process, you know, plan the mini max, plan the quarter arcade, plan some of these things, MME it. I know a lot of you guys are MMEing. I'd be surprised if a majority of you weren't here at this point. I know there's a lot of people who watch and hand build lineups. Everybody's got their own process, but I kind of learned. Uh, obviously, Alex is very, very intricate with his with his groupings and being able to crunch a thousand lineups and putting that together. 
I don't necessarily go that nuanced. He's next level. That's probably why he's the number one player in the world, but definitely check out those videos. I can't recommend it enough because you will just basically have a tutorial about how to, how to put together winning lineups from the number one player in the world. Seems like something you might want to watch. So let's keep it moving here. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown, even <laughs> Tim Boyle exists and is he's throwing the ball at Amon Ross St. Brown. He keeps performing. So that's nifty. Byron Pringle, I'm surprised he was sub 2%. You know, obviously Travis Kelsey out. Um, you don't expect somebody to come in replacement level there at tight end. And uh, Byron Pringle, though, you just didn't need to punt as much here at wide receiver uh, unless you were going to play Braxton Berrios, and then it's totally understandable. Uh, Sony Michelle continues to just absolutely smash. And then Zach Wilson had the best game that he's had as a young professional here. I got to say, 13.3% Zach Wilson for Adam Share. Ship my money DFS had double digits of Zach Wilson. Please talk to me about this because it is beautiful. Because I would say on some slates, that's a winning performance. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can roster a really cheap quarterback at no ownership who is basically a, a young Michael Vick and has 55 yards, uh, you know, touchdown rushing offside, I think you just kind of have I to I almost do it. spit out my coffee. <laughs> um, but no, the really. Mormon, the Mormon Michael Vick. <laughs> but uh, you know, really, he, I mean, it was. He, it, what does he do with dogs? He nurtures them in the, <laughs> in the dog shelter is what Zach Wilson does. <laughs> um, but yeah, it wasn't anything I was confident in. I actually... Um, part of the reason I didn't get my early slate lineups in is I was rerunning my entire main slate stuff because I saw how much Zach Wilson I had. And I thought that maybe I'd made a mistake somewhere, but no, I think it was just that he wasn't getting any ownership. He was cheap. Um, what I kind of realized as I started looking through my Zach Wilson lineups was I could take Zach Wilson, pair him with like Darius or Keelan Cole or whoever that was dirt cheap. You're getting, uh, I, you know, run it back with Robinson or whatever, who I thought was one of the best running back plays. And then I could just do whatever the hell I wanted with the rest of my lineup, put in just fantastic pieces. I already accounted for the, the low ownership because of Wilson and whoever else from the Jets I'm playing. So I think that's kind of why they, they got pushed up for me. Um, you know, obviously I yeah kind of got the, the best outcome possible from Wilson. Um, Barrios was okay because of the kick return, but it also didn't really work because a lot of the guys that I paid up for kind of sucked. But um, as far as, you know, getting lineups like that at virtually no ownership on a slate where it's so difficult to differentiate because there were so many just really good chalk plays yesterday. Um, that was just a spot where, you know, a lot of times at quarterback, there's not that much of a difference in raw points. Like, you know, the best quarterback might score 30. And if somebody like Wilson at a discount uh, goes for 22, 23, uh, you can be in a really, really good situation. So got what I needed from Wilson, didn't get what I needed from the rest of the lineups, but um, kind of just looking at the slate as a whole, um, even though it was a really risky spot to be in, I, I like the play. I mean, I, I'm just impressed because 0.6% ownership seeing 13.3%. That's not something you see from a lot of top players, but everything you just said makes perfect sense for why you did it. I don't think many people have the balls to do it, even top players. I, I think that it's pretty obvious you go through some of the other 150s like I did this morning and, and nobody, and I do mean nobody, had Zach Wilson except for you. So well done. R Rickety had 9%. He was up there. Rickety, yeah, but I, Rickety, whatever. <laughs> I, I didn't click on Rickety. I clicked on some other people, but I should have clicked on Rickety. It's just that when you get to R by the end of it, you're kind of over it. Right. So like you kind of go down the line, you start at a, so it's all alphabetical on the, on the page. So you have 150, and I, I think I quit it like the M's, but you know, whatever, just phoning it in here on this Monday morning. That's what I'm doing. 
It's 842 out here on the West Coast. I do like waking up early and going through this, especially when I've had a bad slate. I think I enjoy going through exposures more when I just got absolutely mauled like I did yesterday, simply because it's like, well, where did I go wrong? And I think that I made more mistakes than I probably made in a week period this week than probably any other week. Do you feel, I mean, I, I'm going through your lineups. I don't think you made that many mistakes whatsoever. Yeah, the only spot where I think, the only kind of spot where I think I made, I don't, I don't know if I even call it a mistake, but like, because like I had so much Barrios in part because I had so much Robinson and Wilson. Um, but at the same time, like there's no real, re- if I'm just punting on, you know, crapshoot wide receivers, there's no real reason to have all my bags, all, all my eggs in the Barrios basket and like none on McKenzie or Pringle. Yes. You know, um, mm-hmm. but again, I think that a lot of that had to do with, I wasn't playing. I, I ended up not really getting to Josh Allen. I ended up not really getting the um, Patrick Holmes, but you know, I think that still, um, you know, where I'm mixing like, like lineups where, I think that in my non-Wilson Barrios lineups, some of those definitely should have been Pringle and McKenzie instead. Yeah. I, for me, when I say mistakes, what it is is I was holding hands with the field on too many plays. I love T. Higgins. I love Joe Mixon, and I didn't have nearly enough of either, especially on a slate where I thought getting up to Joe Mixon was probably the best tournament play at 7% simply because there was no nobody was paying up for any running back whatsoever. And he was the guy that, if you want to talk ceiling and a 25 implied team total going up against a Baltimore defense, obviously you saw Higgins and Burrow both get there alongside Mixon. And if Boyd had scored that last touchdown before getting called back, he would have been in the mix. You even had Jamar Chase, 22 and a half. I mean, 17 and a half from Boyd was still in winning lineups. So like legitimately not having Mixon, I think was just a massive mistake on my part. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really know what else to say. It's, it's, just one of those slates where you don't want to be holding hands. And, and I like that you at least made stands with some of the guys, even mixing with somebody that at least you just even weren't on. So like going through your exposures, I, I, I think that your portfolio of players just made a lot more sense for trying to win a tournament and capture upside than what the average 150 player had yesterday. So that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. I'm done complimenting you here for the day. I think. <laughs> no, and I will say that. like, I agree. Like, obviously I prefer doing this show when we're talking about me winning money as opposed to losing it. But like, I do like going through because it forces me to go through and sort of look what I did and looking at like who I played, um, you know, yeah, I was on some of the chalk pieces. I took, you know, some kind of questionable players, but looking at like my highest stone guys, it does make me feel better that I, I know that a lot of my lineups were still built well when I have, you know, tons of low owned cook or pits or DJ Moore or, or you know, Barrios or, or whoever, uh, Matt Ryan, Zach Wilson, like I can at least see what, like that, that my process was working. It didn't give me the, the winning lineups yesterday, but I can at least see that, you know, I wasn't like just making terrible lineups. I think Jordan Klein just wants to be in chat and like talking back and forth with people. I think that's what it is. I think Jordan Klein is not as involved because he just wants to be talking smack in a YouTube chat and he can't do it. He can't do it on this show because everybody's so nice and orderly going through lineups. That's, that's, that is what I've learned about Jordan Klein. He needs 3000 people in a room that he can just be slandering my outfit or something. I don't know. I like this polo, by the way. This is a nice color. It matches your beanie. Nobody cares. Let's keep going, shall we? Let's do No House Advantage because they are the sponsor here of this show. We're going to go through some individual exposures. We're going to talk some more of these plays that absolutely smash. But while we're doing that, you guys need to be going up and signing up at No House Advantage. Really fun site. Really great people that are running that behind the scenes. It's peer-to-peer, 100% peer-to-peer. So you're going to be playing uh, other people. You're not playing against any kind of a house. That's why it's no house advantage. $25 awesome 
Uh, promo code awesome will get you a $25 deposit bonus. So check that out. You also have the ability now, their CSV is so much easier to be uploading. They have a new device kind of set up for that. So if you want to mass multi-enter in some of these contests, you have the opportunity to do so now. They generally have like the $5,000 2K to first contest that they're running for these Monday nights. Really think that that's a fascinating thing to be doing here for today. Super low total we're looking at for this New Orleans and Miami game. Uh, 37, I believe was the number I was looking at this morning. 37 and a half. Should be really, really interesting in the props department. So head over there. Plus, we have NHA, NHA projections and optimal lineups for you guys to check out over there. It's a really fun way of playing DFS. And if you haven't had the opportunity, once again, use promo code OSMO. Get that $25 deposit bonus. That's how you build. That's how you sustain a bankroll is taking advantage of these opportunities. They have over 500 player props out there per day. I'm telling you, it's a really great site to check out. So go do that now, nohouseadvantage.com or download the app there. The lovely producer, Jordan Klein, who is so happy to be here this morning and so enthusiastic. <laughs> Thank you so much, No House Advantage. We just appreciate that very much. Uh, let's get to some of these individual exposures. I'm sorry, Jordan. I didn't mean to call you out. I just get, I just get so nervous sometimes. That's what it is. I, I love you. Jairi Kill. Very, very popular here in Osmo's portfolio, 50.7%. Um, I think you had to look at Tyreek Hill in the same construct of how you looked at Cooper Cup, where, you know, obviously Cooper Cup has proven to be the proven commodity time and time again here. Neither one of them put up slate winning performances, but my God, Tyreek Hill, 3.9 fantasy points has to be the floor beyond the floor without Travis Kelsey there in a game that they annihilated Pittsburgh. That had to be the most surprising performance of the day, no? Yeah, I think so. Um, and looking at Alex, what Alex did with Cup and Hill, I think makes a ton of sense. Um, I basically was around the field on both, which again, I think was fine. But Alex essentially flipped it where even though Cup was, I still think, a higher projected player and had a higher ceiling, uh, you could just basically say, okay, well, you know, Cup's twice as popular. I'll play Hill at the level that Cup is at and I'll play up basically at the level that Hill is at. Uh, that's, I think, a, a very reasonable way to approach it. The one thing that I thought was interesting about Hill, like he very clearly was a good play. The, the ceiling was massive. It's always kind of tricky. Like football's different in that, you know, like in basketball, if you take out, like if, if football were like basketball, you take out Travis Kelsey and it's just like, oh, Tyreek Hill is a monster. In football, you get different coverages and you get yes. defenses being able to do different things to take Tyreek Hill away where, you know, in football, Kelsey being out there, yeah, maybe he takes some targets away, but he's also opening up the field for, for Tyreek Hill. And so I think it's always a little bit riskier in NFL to say like, oh, this guy is out. It makes this guy that much better because it's just easier for the defense to say like, yeah, okay, Tyreek Hill's not beating us today. Um, if Byron Pringle wants to do it, we will let him, but it's not going to be Tyreek Hill. So that's something that I think always concerns me a little bit when uh, in the passing game, like obviously with running backs, opportunities are opportunities, but mm -hmm. in the passing game, uh, it, it always concerns me a little bit when somebody like Kelsey is out, you know, if you're just going to say like, Oh, Tyree kills way better now. Cause that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Byron Pringle opened up the field for Byron Pringle. That's exactly what I was writing in for yesterday. No doubt about it, but Tyree kill floor beyond floor. It's, it made sense what he did with it. I have no, there's nothing that I could possibly say to make that, you know, he probably did that exactly the way that you should do that. Cooper cup, a little bit under on him makes sense in the event that you're going to be over on Hill and vice versa. If you wanted to be over on 
cup and then find a way to be below on Tyreek. You know, I guess it's just, you know, a difference of 25% ownership. So I'm, I'm totally in line with what he did there. Obviously he was high on the bucks here. Um, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, Ronald Jones, his third, fourth and fifth highest stone players there. I think that that makes a lot of sense there. David Montgomery, double the field on David Montgomery there for him as well. And Braxton Berrios, you guys must've had a little conference and just said, you know what? This is the day that we jam Braxton Berrios. It's almost like we use similar projections. It's almost like you do. That must've been what it was. Uh, yeah, he was definitely somebody that, uh, that I was getting in a number of lineups and I, I just had to say, I can't, I, I can't do it, but 15 fantasy points. I wish I had done it because, you know, sitting at that salary, that made some sense to, to get to some, I mean, what sub 3,500 there. Yeah. 3,500, not so shabby. Keenan Allen, that was disappointing for everybody involved. Uh, Justin, Justin Herbert, super popular. And, and obviously he was the floor ceiling per, or sorry, the floor performance from the quarterback position, Cooper cup, so on and so forth. A lot of, lot of chargers there, Tampa Bay, I think he identified a lot of the best spots here, um, but you know sometimes it doesn't necessarily come to fruition. Uh, kind of looking to see who some of like his, I mean, Braxton Berrios is definitely the biggest stand he had there. Being 20% below on cup is a pretty decent stand as well there. Uh, Stefan Diggs, he was basically 4X the field on as well. Uh, that would be another big stand, but um, anything else that you're kind of extracting out of Osmo's lineups? No, I think just, you know, a lot of, he, he basically just, you know, played a lot of the best plays and, I think it goes back. I know he talks about it a lot. I talk about it a lot. Um, there's always a tendency to like look at individual players and say like, oh, uh, he's too chalky. He's not chalky enough. Want to be overweight, underweight, fade, whatever. It's more about your entire lineups. And when you look at what Alex did, and this is the case normally with Alex, like he's typically playing a lot of the best plays and a lot, you know, they're, they're normally going to be popular, but it's a matter of just mixing in lower own guys in individual lineups, give yourself a chance to win. You don't have to go in, especially these days, you know, projections are just better and people are playing better lineups. Um, you can really get yourself in a lot of trouble. If you're going in saying, I'm just going to across the board, do the opposite of what everyone else is going to do. Cause basically you're just saying like, I'm going to play the shit plays. You can have the good ones. Um, so I know Alex <laughs> talks a lot about, you know, kind of just having typically a couple of contrarian plays and the rest just like chalky guys in your lineup. It's not that you are like, a player being chalk or not isn't why you're playing them. It's just that typically the chalk plays are the best plays. So mm. it's saying, you know, you're just trying to get a good mix of upside and still a high projection in your lineup. And I think that's reflected in what Alex did yesterday and typically does in general. Well, I shouldn't say he didn't make large chance. If you go down to the bottom here, 21.6% Dallas Goddard. That is a hefty, hefty number. 0.7% for Osmo there. Uh, I believe you had 5.3%. So you were one fourth of the field there. That was a nice landmine to avoid at 4.8 fantasy uh, fantasy points there. He also had like zero of the Bengals defense and they were 19%. So that worked out really well for Alex's, excuse me, Alex as well. And then the last guy, uh, he just completely shorted the Rams passing game uh, aside from just jamming, you know, a little bit of cup there, uh, 33%, but 4% Matthew Stafford, which leads us into Neil Orfield who had 42.7% of Matthew Stafford. So he was a, what is that? Quick math, 20X the field on what Alex did of Matthew Stafford. Again, they were the team that was at the top of the boom bust tool. I know that Neil, again, the tools are the tools for a reason. And Alex looked at them and it made an informed decision that Matthew Stafford would probably be over-owned for that spot. Whereas Neil looks at it and says, I really like the fact that they're going to be a top stack a majority of the time here. Uh, on this slate. So Matthew Stafford, 42.7%. 
if you're going to have Cup, you're going to have Madison. I think it makes sense to have a lot of Stafford there too. Uh, Justin Jackson, he was just a little bit underneath the field, but basically holding hands. James Robinson, that hurt a lot of people. Ronald Jones, uh, that was kind of neutral. And he was just a little bit under on Antonio Brown. I will say the one thing that, you know, jumped out to me was seeing the Bengals defense and Rob Gronkowski. Again, we don't always sit around and think like, oh, defense matters a ton here. But like seeing 28.7% there, that's basically uh, losing a lineup spot in 30% of his lineups to a defense failing. So uh, what do you think about his lineups looking at those as a whole? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think they make sense. Uh, clearly was high on the Rams game. Um, I already said, you know, why I liked Madison at that ownership. Uh, he Part of the reason, you know, is that he does positively correlate with Cup and Stafford. I thought they were two of the best plays on the slate. Um, kind of surprised he didn't have more of the Minnesota passing game. You know, like obviously being high on um, – Madison, you know, made sense, but like kind of surprised he didn't have more, unless I'm just missing it, uh, more Justin Jefferson. But yeah, I thought, you know, his, his exposures make sense. Uh, he basically was double the field on Hill. Uh, so it looks like he was able to get a lot of lineups probably where he had cut plus Hill, I would assume. Um, yeah. And the, and the Bengals, I mean, yeah, like I, I normally don't get that high on a defense, but you know, I've, I've done it before. And I think that, it does, it does kind of make sense. Like for, for anyone, I was actually glad to see that I had 16% here um, because like if you weren't playing any of the Bengals passing game and you weren't playing Mark Andrews, you may as well be on the defense there because, mm-hmm. you know, you're basically saying I need this just to be an ugly game where none of these pieces really go off. So why not just put yourself in a position where at least you're benefiting from that? Oh, okay. I, I like that kind of standpoint. I, I've never really thought about it from that standpoint. Um, but that totally makes sense. 29% if you're not going to have any, and he surely does not have any of that game going up and down his lineups. There's a, who would be the highest down player from that game? He has Joe Mixon at 2.7%. So <laughs> there you go. I think that that's a great call. Um, kind of uh, talking through it that way makes a little bit more sense. See, I'm learning things as we're going 22.7% Falcons defense there as well. Uh, 21.3% on Tyler Johnson, big stand there. Zero fantasy points wasn't great. Um, that entire Bucks situation outside of Ronald Jones, who was pretty flat, and Antonio Brown, who got all the volume, the two most popular plays, of course, came to fruition, and nobody else. Um, let's go over here to Rinpack, and oh boy, 100% Cooper Cup, 100% Justin Jackson, 100% Josh Palmer. He had 100% of two position players from the same team. And, you know, talking with Ryan about this show. This show is the one that I think he, he, he's been trying to like find a way to like, just infuse content for us every single week. And sure enough, he gave it to us with this one. What do you think about locking in two position players from the exact same spot? I don't think that that's a problem. I mean, I think locking in guys is insane, but um, you know, obviously, uh, <laughs> but Ryan, like, Ryan knows it. Ryan. Knew yeah, yeah, like, I'm obviously not knocking Ryan's process or anything. <laughs> But like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's nuts. But um, as far as them being on the same team, no issues there because they were both such good values. Um, one thing that I learned kind of doing this show early on when we first started doing it was that I was over, like, I, I wasn't willing enough to play like a running back and wide receiver from the same team if mm-hmm. I wasn't stacking the team. Um, and that's just in general. But then especially in a situation like this where you're paying a combined like 70, whatever, $100 for, for those two guys. Palmer is one of the best point per dollar projected wide receivers. Jackson is one of the best value running backs. There's no reason that you can't just play tons of them together. Well, he did. And I think that, you know, he ended up being the guy that was the most profitable, I think, uh, out of this group, uh, this grouping of Osmo guys. So uh, well done, Ryan there. 30% Justin Herbert, 
didn't uh, didn't completely bust, I would say, but he didn't win anybody a tournament yesterday. Jalen Hurts, 24%, a little bit of a floor outcome there for him as well, 16.66 on the day. Uh, Matthew Stafford, so, I mean, it's kind of interesting to see the next three players being quarterbacks. Uh, pretty condensed player pool there. I mean, his lineups are just out of this world. 22.7% Joe Burrow, so three of his next four highest-owned players after that are quarterbacks. That just means that he sprayed a number of players down here on the bottom end and kind of like put the stacks together. But I suppose when you have three lineup spots that are eight up completely, those other lineup spots might be, you know, right like close behind here uh, because you're definitely going to have Herbert the most with those chargers pieces. But um, I will say like just pretty insane stuff. Joe Burrow, 22.7%. That's the nuts. Yeah. And I, I will say too, that, when you are like, if you are playing three guys in all of your lineups, I think it's correct to, at that point, you're not really worrying. Like it doesn't matter how you compare it to the field on other guys. You sort of just want, if those guys, if, if the three guys you locked do well, you just want a million, you want as many different combinations around them as you can get. You're not trying to, at that point, you're not winning by saying, Oh, I need more than the field on James Robinson or less or whatever. You already have your pieces. You just want mm -hmm. as many of the quality stacks around them as you can get. Great way of saying it. Um, yeah, rest of it makes sense. Pretty flat. Uh, running backs there, Alexander Madison, David Montgomery, Keenan Allen, he was a little bit under on, which again, when you have tons of other chargers, you're kind of hoping Keenan Allen isn't the guy who goes off for sure. So that made sense to me, but still having a little bit also, you'd be nuts to have as much Herbert as he has and not have his number one wide receiver. All right. And now let's head to ship. We've covered your lineups a lot. I kind of do that throughout the show, but I've been waiting for it. Cooper Cup, James Robinson, Alexander Madison, Braxton Berrios, Antonio, uh, Antonio Brown. One of those players is not like the others. Just, yeah. Uh, I still don't really know what it was. Like he was, <laughs> you, he was uh, only projected for 8% ownership. I mean, his awesome most projection, it looks like was like almost like four to five X. So he projected well point per dollar. It was a spot where like I was pairing him with Zach Wilson a bit. He positively correlated with James Robinson, who was my second highest owned player. Uh, he just opened some stuff up in my lineup and yeah, he was. Just, and he's the uh, kick returner. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, added upside <laughs> there. So um, yeah, it's, it, it definitely wasn't by design. Like I didn't go into the slate saying, you know, Oh, I really want a lot of Braxton Berrios. Um, but he just fit well into lineups and wasn't that popular. So like, I, I don't mind that I did it. Uh, like I said before, like probably in the non Zach Wilson lineups should have had a little bit more Pringles, a little bit more McKenzie and a little bit less Barrios, but um, based on his projection and ownership, like I have no issues with doing that. Kyle Pitts, 19.2 fantasy points. You were massively over the field, nearly five X the field, 34.7%. Uh, Kyle Pitts, we've talked about the tight end position. And I think every single week we go through your lineups and, there's a tight end that you're going to be four or five X the field on. That's just kind of how your process works. That's how you view the tight end position as a whole. I would say um, even like when we've had Kel uh, Kelsey and Kittle on slates, it seems as though there's always somebody that you're kind of taking a stand on. How did you arrive on Kyle Pitts being that guy in this spot against Detroit? I just got to a lot of Atlanta's passing game. Um, actually, and I mentioned redoing my crunches because I was getting somewhat Zach Wilson. I did it because of Matt Ryan too. At one at one twenty one percent, Matt Ryan at, yep. in a crunch. I did at one point. Matt Ryan was in half my lineups, and I was just like, "All right, this shit needs to change." <laughs> <laughs> and um, but yeah, I mean, you had Atlanta as a touchdown favorite at home against the Lions. 
Matt Ryan is washed, but he was also cheap. And you had players that you could pair him with. You know, Kyle Pitts is still a still has a massive ceiling, even though he's been relatively disappointing from a fantasy standpoint this year. Uh, Russell Gage has been good, and so just getting to the Atlanta guys at pretty low ownership, it was a it was a spot that I thought stood out as being able to get to low owned guys without sacrificing ownership and, or sorry, without sacrificing upside. Right. And you know, Kyle Pitts, yeah, he wasn't that popular for a reason. The reason is that Matt Ryan sucks and more often than not, so does Kyle Pitts, but he's still really talented. He's still getting a ton of opportunities. Um, that was a spot where I just thought uh, he just having him in a lineup makes that lineup contrarian basically. And he's still got a massive ceiling. So why not just play a lot of lineups that have him? Yeah, 12.7% Rex Burkhead. That was a nice number to be seeing a little bit further down there. Uh, In the middle section of your lineups, you were just a little bit under on Justin Jackson, but he stud 30% plus. So, you know, again, just kind of making a stand there where if he puts up 20 instead of 35.2, you're in a different situation compared, but he just had the ceiling of all ceilings he could have in that spot. Uh, Like Austin Eckler reincarnate at the men. So that's useful. Uh, Michael Carter, you were at 12% on somebody that, again, about 3-4x. Pretty easy to find leverage if you went to any of these other running backs here. Josh Jacobs, really nothing to say there. I mean, 20% made a lot of sense. Sub 5% for a guy who you would assume would get most of the workload, and then all of a sudden Peyton Barber's running out there, and I just don't even know what to think about life anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's one where, like, Barber got the five-yard touchdown, and yep. it, it's just annoying because, like, Jacobs still had a good game, and it could have mm-hmm. just been even better. Um, but that's that was a spot where I thought um, – another just another way where – was he the best play? Of course not. Um, but he was also projected for 8% ownership. Um, I obviously thought Robinson was a better play. I thought Montgomery was a better play. But um, Jacobs was just someone where you can get, you know, a sub-10% owned guy in your lineup that is just as capable as anyone else of having a big game here. Yep. Sub 5%. Uh, That's a nice number to be getting on any kind of a guy that is going to be getting, you know, 65% plus 70% plus a snap. So no problem with that play whatsoever. And of course the winner, we got to finish it out with the winner here, Justin Jackson. Let's pull up that winning lineup here. Cause you know, we'll pull up the winning lineup and then we'll pull up his worst lineup that he had on the board. I think that that's always a fun way of looking at it, but congratulations to B Morella three. And also congratulations while we're at it, Rory O'Connor. Check your Twitter and major thank you from me for yesterday for the $15,000 win. Hey, man, that was you. Let me just say, you know, I I loved seeing the success there. I'm glad that you got on the Burrow Higgins. I'm obsessed with Higgins. And, you know, I had him in my main Yahoo lineup, which was nice. But uh, still, this thing trumps anything that I made uh, yesterday. No doubt about it. Burrow, Michelle, Jackson, St. Brown, love that play. You know, even with Tim Boyle there, I think he's just a monster. T. Higgins, Cooper Cup, Rob Gronkowski didn't work out, but Penny did. And Eagles defense. Eagles defense was a huge part, especially when they ended up getting that touchdown there late in the game. So congratulations. What a smash. I love seeing subs and I love seeing guys that are checking into our shows hitting 15 K plus. I mean, that is just a massive score. So well done. That is all you though. Cause uh, yeah, wasn't, wasn't a nice one for me, but uh, looking at the winning lineup, how about some Bengals onslaught? How does that sound? We've got Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, Justin Jackson, Braxton Berrios, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, Mark Andrews, Damian Harris, and Eagles defense. I must say, I'm obsessed with the Damian Harris play. I was very obsessed with that. Ramondre Stevenson out. Same exact situation we saw, vice versa, a couple weeks ago. But Joe Burrow, Mixon, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. I mean, he basically played the, they absolutely walloped this Baltimore team, and boy, did they. Yeah, I think it's a good lineup. And I think that, so it's one that is difficult to get to, obviously, when you're playing three expensive 
players or relatively expensive players and Higgins chase and Nixon from the same team. But once you run it back with Andrews, you're putting yourself in a position where um, you can kind of get there two different ways. One, you get sort of what you got yesterday where the Bengals just destroy the Ravens and then the Ravens are playing from behind and Andrews has a big game or if the game just shoots out and neither team is playing any defense, you look really good. And this is also an example of how um, individual player ownership is only what one way that you can be contrarian. Um, obviously he had a lot of, lo- he had some low on players here anyway, but even just the Burrow, Mixon, Chase, Higgins stack, you kind of like, if you're doing that, you kind of don't even have to worry too much about the ownership elsewhere because, you know, like if you're just going Burrow plus Higgins plus Chase or whatever, and Burrow has a big game, you're still competing with a ton of people that have that same combination. Once you throw Mixon in there, if you get the game where Mixon does well and the passing game does well, there's just not a lot of people that have all of those pieces because um, one, it's hard to get to, and two, some people just aren't willing to do it. So um, this was also just a good example of this lineup of a way that the way you build can also give you a contrarian team. But Adam, Joe Mixon doesn't catch passes. Why would you put him in that lineup? Right. Well, for I mean, for one, he catches enough, but um, for two, like it's, this is another thing that I've kind of come around on. I used to be pretty against playing my quarterback with running backs, unless you were talking like McCaffrey or somebody like that. But especially as the NFL has, I mean, this year, obviously with COVID and stuff, you've just gotten some garbage offenses, but as there's kind of just like more points being scored. Yeah. You might not like, if you're playing a quarterback and a running back together, um, you're not, you need, you're not looking for the running back to get like five rushing touchdowns. Then the quarterback's Mm -hmm. probably dead. But if the, offense is just moving the ball you're in a lot of positions to score and you're just going to get enough op- enough times where the quarterback scores you know throws for three, for three touchdowns running back gets two and 100 yards or something and you know if you're just taking players from offenses that are moving the ball um you're typically going to put yourself in pretty good situations i would agree and it, it's also just one of those situations too we saw it in the cowboys game last night where a team can just massively wallop somebody right. and Mark Andrews is your prime candidate to get 10 targets in the event that a team blows them out on the other side, right? Like just dump, dunk and dive and go that way, Mark Andrews. Yeah. And then somebody in chat said, I get nervous when even thinking about running four guys from the same team. Yeah. It's not something I do often. Um, I don't set rules against it. It just doesn't typically happen, but that's why it's one way that you can be contrarian is it's just really difficult to do, especially in a situation like this. You know, like it's one thing if you're talking like Herbert, Jackson, Palmer, Allen, because Jackson and Palmer were free. So it's really easy to have those guys together. When you're talking about mid-range guys like Mixon, Chase, and Higgins, it's hard to build a good lineup around them. And so a lot of people just you know aren't going to get there. And so um, it's not the highest probability build, but it does give you still a massive ceiling and it helps make you contrarian uh, in the event that they all go off. Well, he made four lineups in this contest. This one had a cumulative ownership of 117.4%. His next one, his second lineup, 212.1%. And it only goes up from there too to round out our show. The worst lineup that he had of these four, that's what we do is we pick a, we make fun of the person who just won a million dollars in a ticket to a free contest. Uh, that's, that seems like the right way to finish out this show every single week. I don't know why that became my thing, but I just enjoy it. 26 point, uh, 266.5% total ownership, Matt Stafford, James Robinson, Ronald Jones, Antonio Brown, Cooper cup, Jamar chase, Tyler Higby, Justin Jackson, and the Bengals defense looking at this lineup. Obviously the main thing that sticks out is James Robinson. Uh, good thing. He didn't have that in all four lineups, right? Yeah, uh, very, very good thing for him. But um, yeah, I mean, it's still a solid lineup here, I think. Like, 
no, I mean, I don't love Chase and the Bengals together, but it's not the end of the world. Um, you have Stafford with Cup and Higby. That's pretty appealing. Would have probably preferred to have a piece from uh, Minnesota coming back, but again, not the end of the world, not having a run back there. Um, definitely a situation where like if in 150 max, I certainly don't care about the run backs. If I'm playing like four lineups, I typically going to try and, um, you know, correlate as much as I can because kind of you're already at a disadvantage against all the 150 maxers in terms of trying to just hit the nuts with the best plays. So I think it becomes a little bit more important to try and just like be on a game that happens to shoot out. Um, but, you know, in, as far as the lineup goes, I think it's fine. Like there were no issues in playing Jones and Brown together. Robinson was one of the best plays on the slate. The Ram stack looks really good. Higby was a way to make it contrarian. Um, you know, Higby getting virtually no ownership, despite the fact that Cup and Stafford were really popular. Chase was a good play. Jackson was one of the best plays. So still a solid lineup. Well, B Morella three, you are definitely richer than us this morning. Congratulations on the million dollar win. That is lovely to see. Good stuff. Um, four lineups that got it done here. We, it, we've gone up incrementally. We started with like two, two weeks ago, three, four. I would make five lineups next week. It seems like that's going to be the nuts. So I'm going to make five in the Millie. Come join me, everybody. Uh, we can split that million dollars two ways. I'm happy to do that, but thank you so much, Adam. A fantastic job going through all these lineups once again today. Uh, any final words for the people kind of rounding it out? I will have the NBA tournaments video up in an hour or so, and then the NBA injury report video, which will probably take six hours to record. Uh, <laughs> will be up a little bit after that. And then assuming I'm done the NBA injury report video in time, I'll be back for the deeper dive at 5 p.m. I was just kind of like prepping this show and all of a sudden I just saw like two massive bombs on uh, come on and I tried to tune into your show in time to, to catch the second one. And I ended up having to try to rewind and find it. I gave up, but I had a feeling it was a fun reaction. Yeah, it's just, yeah, one of the best. Elon Wright was yeah, the second the, the, guy who got ruled out after, uh, who was the, oh, J- uh, uh, Jason Tatum. That that seems important today. So check out all of the stuff coming up for NBA today. Uh, of course, we have tons of content. So starting up 12 p.m. Eastern time, we've got the Osmo betting show, 3 p.m. Eastern time NFL uh, show, another one with McCarthy and Savoka at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to start all of our NBA stuff, Aton and LaMarca, followed by the deeper dive. It's going to be Lafayette and you. Then we've got 6 o'clock Eastern time and be live before lock with Josh and Greg. And then myself at 7.15 p.m. Eastern time alongside Neil and Savoka. Neil Orfield, we reviewed his lineups. Dude won 125K in showdown yesterday on both DraftKings FanDuel. You're going to want to check that out because the guy's an absolute showdown beast. But thank you so much to producer Jordan Klein, who just got progressively more enthusiastic as the show went on. No doubt about it. Absolutely love the guy. Uh, Great work here once again today. He's Adam Scher. He's awesome. I'm Eric Lindquist. I'm decent-ish. We'll see you guys later.